today from the Global Lane, rebuilding hope in the former capital of the Islamic State. After many years, we can finally return to being Armenians. I feel like I am a new Christian all over again. Migrant caravans continue to pour into Mexico, destined for the United States. Who will close the floodgates? The Biden Homeland Security is now the Department of Homeland Insecurity. Christmas consumer and producer prices take off. Inflation skyrockets in the stores and at the pump. The vast majority of it is not temporary. It is here to stay. We've had money uh, too cheap, too fast, too long. More than one-third of Americans report suffering from anxiety, depression, or stress. One proven solution that brings hope and change. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. When ISIS seized Raqqa in 2014, Christians and other minorities who had lived in the Syrian city for generations paid a heavy price. Many were killed. Thousands fled. Now that ISIS has been defeated there, people are picking up the pieces. They're doing their best to resume normal life. CBN News contributing correspondent Chuck Holton traveled to Raqqa. He brings us a first-hand look at their renewed hope. Before Syria's 10-year civil war, thousands of Armenian and Syriac Christians lived here in Raqqa, and many attended the city's two main Christian churches. Then ISIS seized Raqqa and made the city its capital, forcing most believers to flee. Those who stayed faced brutality in the form of beheadings, crucifixions, and sexual slavery. Syrian Democratic Forces, backed by the United States, eventually defeated ISIS in 2017, opening the city to humanitarian relief. When the Free Burma Rangers first made it to Raqqa, the city lay in ruins. The former Armenian Church of the Forty Martyrs was just a shell of a building. And now a new building stands in place. American pastor Tay Pei helped get it done. I am friends with David Eubanks, and he, he, was, he told me that he was going to Iraq and Syria, and I asked him if he had any needs. And one was particularly rebuilding the church in Syria, and that captured my heart, and I wanted to be part of that. Tay's church raised $60,000 to help rebuild the church. This year, Tay got to come to Syria to see it be rededicated. Before ISIS took over Raqqa in 2014, there were about 150 families that used to attend this church. But now, there are really only about 12 believers left in Raqqa. But the church has been rebuilt. And with the help of the Free Burma Rangers and many people who donated money, today is a very special day as we go to rededicate this church to God and hope that he will send more believers to fill the pews. unto you. The Lord will turn his face towards you and give you overflowing peace, joy, and love. After many years, we can finally return to being Armenians. I feel like I am a new Christian all over again. Praise God. We now have a place to come and worship and make the sign of the cross. This is the square where ISIS tank came down. You've seen it on TV where they came down and did donuts in the tanks. This is it. This is the center of town right here. And this little sculpture right over my shoulder here, they used to put heads on that thing. Not that, not that long ago either. So people here are very happy 
that ISIS is gone. Still, threats remain from terrorist cells operating in the city. This same night, a car bomb went off just a few blocks away from the church. Even so, residents here remain optimistic. We are a few in Raqqa, but it's something uh, a miracle for us to see to see uh, us together again. We, we, we are 12 people, yes, but we, we are too much. We, we are power, we are strength, we have each other, and we will start again. Chuck Holton is back in the United States after spending nearly a month in Syria. Chuck, it's good to see you back in one piece. I know you also traveled to a number of abandoned Christian villages in northern Syria, and they're still under threat. Four or five years ago, it was from ISIS. Today, it's from Turkey. So tell us what's happening. Why haven't Christians and others returned there? Well, uh, there, if you if you understand the history of Syria, Gary, as you do, there are uh, ancient Christian civilizations there that still speak Aramaic, the language Jesus spoke. And uh, especially in the Kaaba River Valley, uh, there are many villages, 30 or 40 villages that are, they're either Syriac or Armenian Christians uh, that live there. And, you know, a really fascinating history about how they came to be there and uh, what Turkey is now trying to do uh, to try to push them out of that area. So uh, they, they are forming militias, these Christian villages. Uh, they have Christian militias that are attached to the Syrian Democratic Forces, the Kurds, and they're fighting off uh, the Turks by way of fighting the Free Syrian Army. Now, the FSA is kind of like the United Nations of ISIS. A lot of them were ISIS fighters before. They've just changed uniforms. And so these Christians and Kurds are in the position of fighting the exact same people uh, that they were fighting under ISIS, just under a different flag. And, and I know you've reported that ISIS is hoping to make a comeback there. So what is the likelihood of that? And how likely is it that the war in Syria will soon come to an end? There are three basic teams in Syria. There are the, the regime backed by Russia. There are the Turks, which uh, are, use the Free Syrian Army to do their dirty work. And then there are the Kurds that are backed by the United States. Iran has an interest there. Israel has interest in Iran not having an interest there. So it, there's going to be conflict there for a long, long time. And the people are the ones who suffer, obviously. And Chuck, when it does finally end, it'll likely be much different than before. What do the people there tell you about their hopes for the country's future? What kind of Syria would they like to see? Well, everybody would love to just go back to the way that it was before the war, uh, where they say that Syrians uh, were just Syrians. There, there were Kurds, there were Christians, there were Muslims, and they all lived together in peace. There was actually uh, quite a few uh, Muslims in Raqqa who donated money to rebuild this Christian church because that's what they desire. They desire not, not obviously that the whole place become Christian. They just want it to go back to where they could live in peace with their neighbors. They could have essential city services and they would, didn't have to worry about cars blowing up at, at random in the traffic circle down the street. It, it's amazing because I was there before the war and during the war. And before the war, I, I can tell you that Christians and Muslims got along fine, many of them. Yeah. And it's so important for Christians in the West to pray for Syrian Christians in their country, also to help, especially this time of year. And now you witnessed the Free Burma Rangers doing some work there. Besides helping to rebuild that church in Raqqa, what else were they doing? What role has that played in offering the people their hope? The Free Burma Rangers has a whole fleet now of armored ambulances, and we take help, hope, and love by way of food, medical supplies, and uh, and the, the, the word of God. 
into these places. And we even went into uh, IDP camps uh, who are very still very much supporters of ISIS and that, that kind of ideology, but they're hungry and it's winter coming. And we went in there and handed out food and they allowed us to do a good life club for their children and just shout the name of Jesus uh, at, at those kids. Okay, Hope for Syrian Christians. Chuck Holden, thanks for risking your safety to bring us your reports. Thank you for helping to raise awareness about our brothers and sisters in Christ in Syria. My pleasure. End of the year border crisis? Just ask folks in Yuma, Arizona, where immigrants are flooding into their city after illegally crossing the U.S. southern border. The lack of response from the feds caused Yuma's mayor to declare a state of emergency. But he now says the emergency is easing as more federal personnel are being sent in to help. Nevertheless, Arizona Governor Steve Ducey says he'll take action at the border if the Biden administration does not. Take a look at this as Ducey announced his plans at a press conference last week. At least a dozen migrants were seen illegally crossing the border behind him. Well, joining us to provide some insights is former U.S. Special Agent Eric Karen. Eric, it's good to talk to you. So as 2021 comes to a close, it looks like we'll see a total of more than 1.7 million illegal crossings into the United States from the southern border this year. That's a 21-year high. Now, the Biden administration says it's complying with a court order. It has reinstated the Remain in Mexico policy. So what are you hearing? Is Homeland Security aggressively enacting this reinstatement of that policy? Well, Gary, thank you for having me. Um, one thing you didn't say was the deportation rate. The deportation rate under Joe Biden is down tremendously, half of what it was under the Trump administration. The people have to understand border security is national security, like peanut butter and jelly, Gary. It's crucial to understand that. Um, we have 8,000 miles of border between Mexico and Canada. We have to secure all 328 ports of entry because the criminals and terrorists will, will go where it's soft and they will exploit our freedoms here in America. And they have. And you've been involved in national security issues and covert operations for years, especially in the area of money laundering, drug smuggling. So how great is yep. the security risk? You just touched on it a little bit uh, to the yep. people of the United States at this time. And, and let's set politics aside. We're not talking politics here. We're just looking at facts. So what's actually happening on the ground? Well, Gary, um, if I may say, the the Biden Homeland Security is now the Department of Homeland insecurity. It pains me to say that, but it's true. This Under this secretary, under this White House, they want to create not just a sanctuary city or state. They've said they want a sanctuary country for illegal aliens here in America to stay, criminal aliens to stay. An order was just issued on, on November 29th by the, the new Secretary of Homeland Security. He does not want ICE to enforce the immigration laws here in America. So if I'm an illegal alien, I cross the border, as long as I don't get caught under this administration, I can stay. That's okay. And if I do get caught by the local police for, say, committing a, a crime against my wife, that maybe I assault her or rape her, guess what? That's still okay. 
I still get to stay. I don't get deported because I raped my wife or girlfriend and I got caught. Is that the type of country we want here in America? No, we want the rule of law. What What is behind this? Uh, you know, many people believe the intent of this open border policy is to advance a political agenda so Biden and the Democrats can get more voters, change the voting demographics in states like Texas, Arizona. And I know other people like former acting Homeland Security Director Chad Wolf say it's economic, that migrant labor is needed. So what do you say? What What's behind this? You know what? It's, <laughs> I don't think it's labor. Um, we, we have enough Americans here to work. Uh, we've become soft and relying on big government to support us. That's one of the reasons why the Biden administration uh, is, is turning out money and giving free housing, free food, free this, free that. Like Santa Claus. You know, the Biden administration is Santa Claus dressed up as. And so this is politics, strictly politics. Okay, what can be done? What can be done then? I know the Remain in Mexico policy has had enough to reduce the Mexican cartels with their human trafficking, the flood of guns, fentanyl, other drugs from crossing the southern border. What else needs to be done? Well, you know, here in America, we need to get involved in, in, in elections. Obviously, we need to get involved in local elections, state elections and, and start electing officials that have our backs, have our best interests, America's best interests. That's simple as that. We cannot rely. We, this is not about China, Russia or any other country. This is about keeping America safe, getting Americans to work so we don't rely on foreign labor. And we don't rely on the importation of, say, counterfeit Chinese goods that come into America, that flood America every day. Millions of Chinese counterfeit goods come into America. Why? Why Why can't we make some of these goods here? We should be making these goods here. Not to mention all the fentanyl that's coming in from China. Okay, Eric Karen, farmer, uh, former U.S. diplomat, special agent. Thank you, Eric, for being with us. We appreciate it. Gary, it's always a pleasure, and stay switched on, my friend. With Christmas fast approaching, Americans are finding they're paying more for just about everything this year. In many cases, a lot more. The November inflation rate stands at 6.8%. We're paying 12.5% more than a year ago for meat, poultry, fish, and eggs. Housing rental costs are the highest since 2007. And prices at the pump? Well, they've skyrocketed up 58% over this time last year. Here to share his thoughts is national radio and TV host of Financial Issues, Dan Celia. Dan, it's always good to talk to you. The highest inflation rate since 1982, producer price index just out, which measures inflation at the wholesale level. In November, it grew 9.6% over 2020, and that's the fastest rate ever. So is there any relief in sight? How will skyrocketing prices for almost everything uh, affect the Christmas economy? Yeah, well, it's certainly going to uh, affect the Christmas economy, Gary. Uh, this None of this is good. 9.6% uh, producer price index is uh, astounding. And, you know, the vast majority of this, not all of it, the vast majority of it is not temporary. It is here to stay. The majority of it is uh, due to wages. Yes, there are some pressure from uh, supply chains and bottlenecks in that supply chain. And yes, that causes a bit of inflation. But look, we've had money uh, too cheap, 
too fast, too long, and it continues to devalue the dollar. The Federal Reserve continues to buy debt. We're facing another $2 trillion spending bill. So more debt on top of that, $2 trillion that the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, says it's going to cost us $3.4 trillion for that when the administration says it's going to cost zero. So we're going to, we continue to see the spending, the inflation is going to continue, and we have no jobs being created, only jobs being desired. We're at 11.2 million job openings, all-time record high, and nobody is filling those jobs. Remember that 9.6 number I just gave you, uh, Gary, and you pointed out before we came on that, look, it is, that's a November number. So, I would suspect by the end of December, and we get that number in January, it's probably going to be double digits. And uh, we're going to continue to see that go up. Dan, and, you know, uh, it's inter- let me, yep, let me ask ahead. you about the let me ask you about the unemployment rate, though. That's sure. down to 4.2 percent. But we know the November job growth was weak. A new survey by McKinsey shows almost half of employed Americans say they're not working due to health reasons physically and mentally, and 37% say they've been diagnosed with mental health issues or have sought mental health treatment. Wow. It seems the pandemic has taken a toll on the U.S. labor force. So how concerned are you about that? Well, that, that's going to be our biggest problem that economists and analysts believe that we have and politicians believe we have is not there at all. Um, or we wouldn't be seeing such low Unemployment rate. Look, the unemployment rate rate is low because we have clobbered our labor participation. So remember, unemployment is factored on a much a bigger number. So the number of the unemployment number is going down. So this is what happened in 2008, 9, 10, 11, and 12. So we're we're seeing that same effect. We're going to have a very low labor participation rate. And we don't see any end in sight. The people that were laid off just as the pandemic started early on, the vast majority of them still don't aren't still aren't back to work. Dan, what's your predictions for 2022? Will inflation moderate? Will our economy continue to grow at a robust rate? I think our, our our economy is not going to grow at all. But I think inflation will begin to subside. Um, So it'll probably be at best case scenario, late third quarter, but likely uh, into the fourth quarter, uh, inflation may start uh, settling down and, and dropping a bit, primarily because of supply chain pickup, and hopefully we'll get some energy um, picking back up again. Not to mention an election coming up. Uh, in yes, that, that, that always third, helps. Fourth quarter. Dan Cilia, national radio and TV host of Financial Issues. Good talking with you again, Dan, and we appreciate you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Gary. Always appreciate being with you. Thank you. A recent McKinsey survey found that of 5,000 Americans polled, 37% say they've been diagnosed with mental health issues or they're being treated for their mental health. That's more than one out of every three Americans. 
Well, that is certainly discouraging. Another survey brings some rays of hope. You see, as America comes out of this pandemic, people are realizing the government offers them only limited prosperity, security, and hope. The American Bible Society reports that more adults turn to the Bible this year than in 2020. I find that a bit surprising because it seems as more Americans were hunkered down in their homes because of shutdowns and layoffs at the height of the pandemic, you'd think they would have had more time to read the Word. Yet 24% of American adults say they've increased their Bible reading over last year. That doesn't seem to be that big of a deal, right? Because still 76% aren't reading more Bible this year. But listen to this. The ABS found that Bible reading actually reduces stress. Scripture-engaged people are more hopeful than those not engaged. And people rooted in the Bible engage in more neighborly behaviors, like helping strangers and doing volunteer work. The American Bible Society also found that Bible readers tend to be more generous and give greater amounts. 84% of Americans say they own more than one Bible. Many people have more than three in their household. So as we approach Christmas and a new year, why not make a New Year's resolution to do more Bible reading? Why not take one of those Bibles off the shelf and make a commitment to read the Word regularly, maybe even daily? You'll likely become less stressed, more hopeful, and more giving. So where should you start? How about the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14? It seems quite appropriate this time of year. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. May you and your family experience a joyous celebration of our Savior's birth. And may you know the peace and love that only He can bring. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, Merry Christmas. Be blessed.